want the money. I want the title. And I can get it because I'm already doing the work. You've thought it. Now it's time to actually believe it. You're listening to Her Next Career Move, the safe space where you'll learn how to stop your mind from career blocking you so you can claim the wealth and work you deserve. I'm Dr. Jasmine Escalera, a career-minded Latina turned Forbes featured coach, and I'm ready to have some candid conversations about how you can build the confidence to step into the career you know you deserve. All right, now let's get going. Welcome back, everybody. I have to say that this episode, ooh, I'm jazzed up for it because I drank a lot of coffee this morning and we are recording it at 9 a.m. And you know me, I'm an early riser. So I've been up for about five hours now, caffeinated and ready and so excited for this episode. And the reason why I'm excited about it is because I love chatting about imposter syndrome, but I always wondered... Would I have ever actually had the symptoms of imposter syndrome if I wasn't in toxic environments? How does the environment interplay with imposter syndrome? And should we even actually be labeling women of color as having it? And when I thought about this specific topic, I knew I had to bring back my girl, LaToya. Damn, LaToya, come on down because I, I'm mad. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm going to try and match your energy as much as possible. I love it that you, and I've always loved it since I've known you, that you are a morning person. I am your polar opposite. I come alive <laughs> after like 11 p.m. So I'm certainly not struggling, but I am also still only on my first cup of coffee. That being said, the subject matter also gives me a lot. It ignites me in a very special way. Um, And so I am so glad that you invited me back to come to the platform and talk about imposter syndrome, what it is, what it isn't, maybe not so much in those details, but more specifically, like, gosh, are are we doing our women of color community a disservice by wildly throwing around this term and what does it all really mean, right? Uh, so so thank you. Thank you, Jasmine, for, for having me back. Of course. No, I wanted to have you back and I want to continue to have you back. And there's so many different collabs that we're going to be doing together here on the podcast. We're going to be you know, doing some great stuff on LinkedIn. I'm just really excited to talk to you about this specific topic because when we first did our first podcast episode on burnout, I really, I felt emotional during that one because I remember feeling so seen by the words you were speaking about women of color, burnout, burnout culture, this idea that we have to work so hard all the time and the mindset behind it. And I remember saying to you, I definitely burnt out in December. Um, I hit a wall and uh, I'm not proud to say that with all the work that I do on myself and all the mindset work, I really drove myself to the ground. And you were so compassionate. You even sent me a book on sleep, which was very great to read, and collagen eye mass and lavender. What is, it was like a roller that I put on at night so that I can smell this beautiful lavender smell. I just felt so seen by you. And I just want to say thank you for being you. Oh, Jasmine, I will absolutely take my Atta girl and and let you know and let the listeners know when I think about especially workplace items where we center burnout. One, imposter syndrome is a great pair. Imposter syndrome pairs well with burnout. There's a lot of similarities in this space. As I mentioned at the outset of our time, I ignite in a very special way. When I think about limiting beliefs, negative self-talk, burnout, the behaviors that drive us there, because I am a former perpetrator, I am consistently on my own learning and unlearning journey when it comes to burnout specifically, right? So I see it very easy in other women, especially other women of color, because, which I'm sure we'll, we'll unpack and we'll explore in our conversation today There's a lot of tropes that I think, or and archetypes that we put on ourselves 
And we say imposter syndrome, but it's really something else. And it's something much deeper. We're hitting a root, but we're not hitting a tap root. So when I see that in other women, I immediately come alive and I try not to take on a savior complex when I see that, but I always want to do a couple things. Certainly as a practitioner in the DEI space, as a certified diversity coach, as an executive coach, right? Holding space for individuals. First and foremost, I have to hold space for myself. And when I do that, then I can be hypersensitive to the needs of others and I can hold space for them and help serve them, help solve them, help support them in a way that works for them versus blatantly offering help that no one asked for, right? So I I thank you for recognizing that. And I would lend that pay it forward to all of your listeners, right? Women of color or not, um, we owe a large measure of our greatness, of our dopeness to the women who are around us. And, And we owe them that. We owe them when you see when you see your girl over there burning out, when you see that tail spin and like the smoke is coming from the air, what are you going to do about it? And do you have, have you, have you put your oxygen mask on? Are you in a position to serve, solve and support? I think it's really great that you say that. And your words are really touching me because I had a conversation last night actually with a member in my group coaching program, the professional quitters. And we were talking about boundaries and and the I suggested she listen to the episode where you talk about burnout. And we were talking about boundaries and she said something so interesting to me. She said, I feel like I don't have any other choice. I feel like I have to work really hard to succeed. And when I asked her, where is that narrative coming from? She said, well, I'm a first gen woman of color. This is what I was told I was supposed to do to be successful here. And I love how you're talking about when you see your girl struggling, when you see your girl burning out, not using the language of it's okay, it'll get better, but really being supportive and present and available to say, how can we get you out of this? Because one thing I do recognize is if I have conversations with certain people, they'll just kind of kind of like re-up me and be like, yeah, it's all right. You'll do it. It's fine. That's just the way it is. Hard work. You know, you got to struggle to get the prize. But there's very rarely any people who say, hey, how can we get you out of this? And so I really appreciate those words of like, yo, look at your girl, look at your friends, look at your family and don't encourage this behavior, like really help them get out of the behavior. Yeah. And I would add, and as you're taking that assessment with your friends, your family, your your group of besties, check yourself first. Anyone who's listening to, to the podcast who is a first responder or has a first responder in the house is probably very familiar with the idea of when the good Samaritan goes wrong. Um, accident on the side of the road. I'm driving past it. I see it. It's cataclysmic. I immediately slam the brakes on my car. I pull over and I jump in to save the day. But what I don't know is that the accident that I'm assessing and the people I'm trying to help, like there's a gas leak and the car is still on. And this thing is literally a ticking time bomb in 0.4 seconds. And I've now placed myself in harm's way. And I'm not equipped or qualified to do what the adrenaline that my kidneys are making is telling me that I can do. And the best thing that I can do first and foremost is yell, hey, is everyone okay? I'm going to call 911. And then I will take the 0.3 seconds and then take the 0.8 seconds, right? I will do the assessment before I blatantly offer help. Um, Side note, we certainly as women of color, women of color leaders, we do that. And that can easily turn into its own form of control. I am going to lend this help to Jasmine. And now subconsciously, Jasmine is obligated to always be my friend or always go out to happy hour with me because I'm, I'm here for you. I'm going to, I'm going to help you. So give this to me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to write your, I'm going to write your run of shows. I'm going to do all your decks, Jasmine, because that's what I'm, I'm here to help you. But that's not the help that you asked for. And that might not be the help that gets you closer to anti-burnout tactic. I certainly don't want to co-sign your burnout and say, girl, you know, we all had to, we all got to be heads down sometimes. And I would, I would bet, I would bet my annual salary that the opportunities that you've had where you've gone to your network and said, Ooh, this is tough. And you got the, yeah, but sometimes girl, you got to get out. 
you know, sometimes you got to keep your nose down and hustle. It's probably coming from other women of color. Yeah, absolutely. It's coming from it's coming from people from my culture. It's coming from ooh, I have to admit, I have to admit this. It's coming from my parents. It's coming from people in my family. It's coming from people who have belief that this is the way it works. And the reprogramming of it doesn't have to work this way has been one of the hardest things that I've had to go through. So I like to say that my hustle is on vacation and she's in retirement. And when I need her, I call her in and she does what she needs to do and then she leaves. But in reality, it is really hard to live that mindset because we do get a lot of co-signing around the hard work that we put in. And we do get a lot of kudos for the hard work, even if in the background we are struggling. I don't ever feel like I can be honest with a lot of people around that struggle. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. So this is going to be such a great episode because we're going to touch upon all of these. I love how you talked about the archetypes of what's really going on and is that really imposter syndrome or are we mislabeling it? So we're going to go into all of this. But before we do, you were here a few weeks ago for the podcast episode on burnout, but I know because I follow you and I love following you that a lot of things have been happening in the background of your business. So I think we need a reintroduction to your biz. I think we need to hear about all these great things that have been happening. So tell us, give us the deets. So your big debut, coaching and consulting, we just finished our rebrand. Cue the sparklers, cue the fireworks. Huge, 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 huge shout out to Courtney Villapondo and her team at C Villa Design, who did a phenomenal job on all my digital assets. The website, the new logo, the helpful resources that I've put together that are out there on the site, absolutely encourage your listeners to go out there, take a look. Um, I mean, we have like a brand new color palette. I, I think through the rebrand, that was probably the most excited I was about like looking at color swatches and getting to know Pantone colors. Love it. Yes. The rebranding, not just aesthetically, but as well, I've streamlined some services within the business and we're focusing a lot more on just certain types of work. And uh, my client type is changing a little bit. I've always um, had the privilege of being signaled to women of color who are in mid to senior level kind of professional paths. Typically I work with women who lead teams of like other people leaders. And we're starting to open up that archetype into some more individual contributors as well. And then what does that look like? And really looking at what is the future of the coach-client relationship in the space of creating the container, recognizing all of the identity, What is the future of that as we talk about things like chat GPT and recession and continued layoffs, right? So really just looking at product offering, looking at my own coach approach. I am also doing some some upskilling of my own uh, as a coach. I have my own professional development journey going on in tandem with this rebrand. It's it's, it's been a lot. (laughs) It's definitely been a lot. It's been a lot of coffee. It's been a lot of like... 1980s rock jam playlists to get me through like edits and revisions, but it's been great. And thank you so much for recognizing that. Oh, I love it. I love everything that you're doing. And, you know, I find that it's when we do that rebirth, when we do that kind of like, okay, take a step back. What's working for me? What do I want to do? What do I feel called to do next? Only greatness comes from there. So I am so excited to see what comes up for you. And I love the rebrand. I love everything about it. All of the links, everything is going to be in the show notes, y'all. So please check out the rebrand and get some info on Latoya and her coaching. So I want to jump right in to this topic because I know that you're going to drop an immense amount of gems. And Before we really talk about whether we should ditch the term imposter syndrome, I'd love to know, how do you define imposter syndrome? What is what you would presume the definition of imposter syndrome to truly be? Mm, The definition to truly be, I am not clinically trained. 
right? I didn't see, sit at the feet of Carl Jung or, you know, anyone who's in the psychology space. But I will say, if I've got to put some structure around what we say imposter syndrome is, there's this consistent feeling, as I pause, there's this consistent feeling that typically is internally driven that lends itself to negative self-talk and limiting beliefs. Hard stop. How those two things conceptualize and turn into like behaviors and byproducts can be different for a lot of different women. Um, the, oh man, I'm, I'm here on this stage and I'm presenting and gosh, they're going to find me out. Someone is going to discover that I'm actually not qualified for this role or for this job or for this project. And you know what? They're right. <laughs> I, I can't do this. Um, it, it's those swarming feelings that stem typically from the inside and make a person feel like, hence the term, an imposter, a fraud of the fake. I'm not supposed to be here, right? Uh, simply put, the consistent belief that your success, your accomplishments, they're not valid. They're not earned, right? And those thoughts, those feelings turn into thought patterns. They turn into behaviors. They turn into outcomes and byproducts. And as we're speaking uh, certainly to our women in the workplace, right, there's, <laughs> there's a whole host of things that we can talk about that happen that stem from imposter syndrome. Yeah, I love how you talked about imposter syndrome really being that imposter feeling. I, I'm not as good as everyone presumes me to be, and they're going to figure that out at some point. That's what I always felt like was sitting in my head. I remember going to graduate school and that replayed over and over and over and over again. I'm not as good as they, as they think I am. I don't even know how I got here and everyone's going to figure it out. And I think that's a really core thing that a lot of women and women of color feel in the workplace is, do I really even belong here? And so if you think about imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome actually is not a clinical diagnosis. It's not considered to be in the DSM, which is our mental health tool to diagnose mental health disorders. It's something that came from and sprouted from research. So we think about it from that perspective of the imposter component, but what are some other signs that you may be struggling with imposter syndrome? One that I think we don't talk enough about is procrastination. You've been assigned a project, you've assembled a team, and oh man, I just can't quite get started. Uh, other things are just suddenly getting in the way of this element of success or this you know, thing, this big thing that you've been tasked to do, um, and you just keep putting it off. Or you, you know, I, I know I got to get to this one thing that's going to lead to these outcomes and this type of greatness, but just can't seem to get started. Failure to launch, right? Um, at the tap root may not feel qualified, maybe asking questions like, how did I even get this? How did I even get here? How, how did I get here? I'm managing this team and I, you know, I don't really even know if I'm doing a good job managing this team. And then lo and behold, like they've increased my proprietary budget. And I used to only have like five grand approval and now they've given me half a million and gosh, I, I just, I don't want to mess this up. And those feelings get in and those thoughts get in the way of making sure that your team gets through phase one of the project and does the revisions and puts together the, the product design or whatever that might be, right? Procrastination is a huge one. I would say to my brethren who attempt to do something hard, can't figure it out right away at first pass and then immediately give up. Uh, this can lend itself very nicely to imposter syndrome, the idea that we have to get it right on the very first try, or otherwise we are a failure, we can't do it, we had no business getting started, how did we even, again, come back, how do we even get here? Said corporation had no, they had no business giving me this responsibility because I was going to mess this up anyway, because I tried it the first time and I didn't hit a hole in one. And for, again, my brethren who step up to the plate and every time that they have the bat in their hand, to use a sports reference, they're going to hit a home run. And then when they don't, they kick the dirt and they walk off and they'll never play baseball again. Hi, <laughs> I see you. And that lends itself very nicely to imposter syndrome as well. I'll say it again. I'm not a medical expert. I'm not trained clinically. So I'm, I'm speaking through that lens. 
But one of the things that tends to come up when we talk about imposter syndrome is anxiety, increased stress levels that beget physical reactions, right? Something that one can feel in their body or they can pinpoint in their body. Um, maybe you'll see people opt out of opportunities for advancement because those internal feelings are so strong and the physical reaction that it's causing is so strong, it becomes a form of paralysis, right? That pairs well with imposter syndrome. Yeah, I love all of these. We could create a checklist on this because I know myself and a lot of my clients have experienced this. And I always notice that imposter syndrome is triggering in my clients when they go through this whole self-talk of I need to know more before I can start. I need to either take a course or I need to take a class or I need to get asked questions. or It's almost like a distrust of the knowledge you already have and the inability to move forward until you feel like you've acquired enough to be able to do so. I see that as something that happens in my clients a lot, and it's happened with myself too. I don't have enough experience or I don't have enough knowledge to just start. Like you talked about in the beginning, procrastination. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm certainly not saying, I don't want to give this phrase to at anyone. With my clients, I see similar, and it tends to show up in higher education where um, I might be working with, you know, the chief people officer at said corporation who's working on like her second doctorate and not for the sake of diversifying her portfolio or jumping into a new industry, but is seeking to acquire new knowledge because feels like the knowledge that they have in the immediate is not enough. And if I'm going to stay ahead of the curve, if I'm going to stay on, on top of the wave, I've got to get the next certification. I have to get the next degree. I've got to get multiple of this degree. And this, the, just the barrage of unintended consequences that come from, I have to stay masterful in this subject. So therefore I must gain more knowledge. That easily undercuts the idea that as intelligent beings already, we have a, a whole host of knowledge And who is telling us that we need this knowledge? Who is saying, who is, you know my term, who's co-signing on this idea that you don't know enough? Where is that coming from? Not not just the self-narrative, but what is your environment saying? Is your environment saying that you need to know more? What's the feedback that you don't know enough? I've asked that plenty of times to clients who express the, I've got to do more research or I've got to get this certification before I can start to do this thing. Who told you, you you're not equipped now? Who, who told, told you you can't do it now? <laughs> and take inventory on that as well, because if those environmental factors have the potential to stay around long term, what's the unintended consequences of consistently feeling like you've got to be the master over and have the mastery on the thing before you start? We don't expect that of children. Any parent will tell you that. We give kids plenty of time to learn how to tie their shoes. And then when they can't seem to get that right, we just buy them Velcro. There's other, there's other things that we, that we can do. There's some of those parallels that we can apply to ourselves. And when we do them successfully, they serve as a balm. They serve as a type of healing. And I, I know that... Jasmine, you work with your clients in a very intense way on that healing portion. That, that, is, that is part of the healing is taking inventory on not just where the negative self-talk is coming from, where it stems from internally, but what are those environmental factors that are also contributing to that? Yeah, and, and I love that. And is what you're saying to yourself true is what's resonating in my mind. And I love to challenge my clients in that way too of saying like, I just flat out say, is that, is that really true? Is that actually a truth? Or is it a narrative that you're playing in your head that is coming from someplace else that is actually in disservice of you? And so is it true? And sometimes when we ask ourselves, is it true? It can trigger us to actually go about looking for the answer. Is it true that I need to get a master's degree to make this career transition happen? Well, how can I find out if that is true? Well, I can network. I can put myself out there. I can ask questions, which can actually put you on a really interesting expedition of 
putting yourself out into the world. So even sometimes asking yourself that question of, is this true, can, like you said, discredit the thought immediately or can send you out there to find the actual information you need to determine the truth of the thought you have. And 99.9% of the times, your thoughts are not true. (laughs) They're just not. But I love that concept and idea of like challenge the thought. Is it really true? Yeah, absolutely. I wish we did more of it. I know. I would like to do more of it for myself as well. So I want to really talk about imposter syndrome from this interesting concept of the actual first study on imposter syndrome was done in high achieving women. And for some reason, imposter syndrome has become more attached to women. And imposter syndrome has even been labeled as like the women's issue, like women in the workplace have to deal with this. And it's become something that we have to deal with, something that we've taken on as a challenge. So what do you think are the are the reasons why we shouldn't be labeling this as an actual woman's issue? And how do you think even taking that on as a woman's issue has really impacted us in the workplace? I think, first of all, we have to recognize that when we say imposter syndrome, it, in fact, is not solely tied to women. And recognize, and and let me hold space for it here, I, I do understand that having the conversation around imposter syndrome, not everyone is subscribes to that phrase or that ideology. So if imposter syndrome is not the term you want to use, great. If it's imposter phenomenon or whatever one might call it, right? For the sake of my conversation, I'm, I'm going to stick to imposter syndrome. But I mean, research shows there's plenty of imposter syndrome in men, in folks from different uh, backgrounds and identities, geographies. It is not something that should just be slathered over women. And when we do that, we, the global we, do something that we're really, really good at already. We tell women what they should be. You should be more confident. You should smile more. You should talk less. You should, you should go out there and be great. Those are other real statements. And we end up telling women a lot of what they should do or who they should be and how they're going to get over the thing. And we help them get over the thing, but we haven't unpacked the root of the thing. We've told them that they lack confidence when it's not so much they lack confidence. They actually might lack subject matter expertise. They actually may need to go back and get into some certification course because this is a new industry for them, right? I think we just, we, we tell women they have a thing, we accept it, and then we weaponize it in our pop culture or we drive it into the ground or we develop the unintended consequences of women have imposter syndrome looks like a bunch of glossy magazines that say 10 ways to get over imposter syndrome that don't really speak to negative self-talk or limiting beliefs. Amy Cuddy has some, some great research out there around imposter syndrome, but specifically around presence, how we show up, what makes us feel big and tall and proud and grounded and, and how that starts really within the body and how the body can train the brain to dial back some of that negative self-talk. She talks about, if anyone has seen her TED Talk, there's a lot about like the power pose and what to do before you go into a big interview or before you go into a negotiation. Those things are real. And those things impact not just women. They impact humans. They impact people. Um, We probably talk a lot about imposter syndrome in women, but we change the narrative when we talk about, let's say, soon-to-be college entrants, folks who are leaving you know, secondary education, going into higher education, and we talk about like test-taking anxiety. There are some themes out of that that align and pair well with imposter syndrome, but we call them something different based on age, based on generation, but it, they're, they, they pair well. They're, they're almost on the same platform. So we, we can't just keep pigeonholing women and saying, you have imposter syndrome, when it can totally be something else and it's not something that's just for women. Absolutely. And there is research out there that says that men also have imposter syndrome and also have feelings of imposter syndrome. I do want to say, though, that there are specific, I felt it, there are specific barriers that women of color face that 
I believe could be the actual triggers to imposter syndrome. Can we talk a little bit about that? Are there external barriers that we are facing in the workplace that may actually be the factors causing this phenomenon? And how does that really show up? Yeah, absolutely. Picanism. Pick one. Sexism, racism, ageism, picanism. There's right? so many. Picanism pairs well with imposter syndrome. If I isolated this to like ageism, I might have a professional who is over 50 working with a team of younger developers, maybe 30 and under. And that negative self-talk stems from, I'm too old to be here. How did I get here? They're going to find out that I'm not as tech savvy as I thought I was. Or, man, these kids can run circles around me and I'm, I'm not going to hold up in, in these stand-up meetings or in my scrum sessions, right? If you're, if you're in the dev world, whatever that might be. Yeah, there's a lot of external factors. I, I know I mentioned ageism, but I, I want to open up and kind of zoom out when we're talking about these external factors. For women of color, it's really important for us to recognize and talk about something that you've mentioned earlier, those respectability standards that sometimes come from our elders or our parents, those in those within our culture and our community of the older generation who want to see you, you know, Jasmine, you know, you're a Latina and you you got to do it for us and make sure you're not doing anything at work that's going to let us down. What I see often in women, especially C-suite and executive level women of color who may be managing a team, maybe they serve as some sort of, you know, mentor sponsor, there's easily this respectability standard that creeps in. And we want it so much as leaders for other women of color who are maybe junior in their role or who are individual contributors or who can serve as like mentees or sponsees that can easily turn into its own bias and and drive the imposter syndrome or the negative self-talk in others. Um, feeling that, yeah, we've got to... We got we to gotta keep our nose clean and we got to be heads down and we can't rock any waves because, you know, we come from historically excluded groups. So don't give anyone a reason to tell us no. And what I'm not telling you, but I'm going to demonstrate to you in my leadership, I'm going to hold you to a higher standard because as a Puerto Rican woman who is a mentor to younger Puerto Rican women, I'm actually holding you to a respectability standard that might drive some of that negative self-talk in you. And you might feel like, unintended, of course, man, I'll, I mean, I'll never be the Latina that Jasmine is, especially as a leader and bust through these, these barriers and bust through dominant culture the way that she has. I don't deserve to be here. I might not be as great as a, a Latina as my counterparts or my peers. That's a, that's a thing. That's a thing that I don't know that we speak enough about. And those of us in leadership positions, we really need to be mindful of how that can easily turn into its own bias within our own cultural construct, right? Within our own communities. Obviously, dominant culture. And I can I can easily say white supremacy, but I want to hold space for you listeners who are in dominant cultures that aren't homogenous to white cisgender male. Cultural misconceptions, I think, has a lot to do with it those stereotypes that might align well in you know comedy shows or on TV around certain identities and backgrounds that conceptualize themselves in the workplace that end up not serving women of color a whole host of things again the environmental factors that cosign whatever's going to cosign on your negative self-talk, your feeling of not belonging, working in an environment that's toxic, that does not foster senses of belonging will easily help drive that those limiting beliefs and some of those feelings. Yeah. How does that sound? What I'm putting on our proverbial table. Yeah. You know, I'm actually standing here and I have to tell you that what hit me the most out of what you said because I talk about this a lot. I talk a lot about toxic workplaces, and I know we do toxic workplaces and the impact to the person. But I'm going to have to say, LaToya, what like hit me really hard, it's actually like hitting my soul. 
is how we do this to each other, how we actually feed into the narratives with one another and how we are actually continuing to propagate some of the narratives that were intended to hold us back and we're keeping them going. Like that's what hit my soul right there. Very easy to turn into the monster that you're trying to fight. And we, we do it often. We, myself included, we do it often. When we think about, I've said it, I remember being on a, a coach's panel. This was during the pandemic, probably early, earlier in the, in the pandemic. And this is lockdown. This is not going to be three weeks. <laughs> we are not going to be popping bottles and on planes in like less than a month. And I remember saying around imposter syndrome, I don't remember the question, but my answer was, you know, as women, especially women of color, it goes back very well to what we talked about at the the top of our, our chat. I recognize burnout in women because I suffered so hard through my own and developing my own anti-burnout tactics and behaviors and the constant learning and unlearning. So when I see it in others, I'm hypersensitive to that. Same, same when I hear the limiting beliefs that I think we dress up, certainly as women and in our conversations with each other, that I think we kind of cast to the side. How often does a woman get a compliment on a dress and go, oh, this old thing? Stand in your, your power. Yeah, thank you. And I love this dress because it makes me feel like X, Y, Z, one, two, three. Those things I am hypersensitive to. So I hold space when I am in community with other women to recognize that everyone's journey is different. I want to foster as a leader that sense of belonging. The best way I can do that is if I have invited Jasmine to come and speak at the conference that I'm hosting, and I know that there is going to be an element of some jitters, I'm going to have some great deep conversation with Jasmine in our intake sessions and as we're prepping for the conference, because I want her to know that it's okay for her to show up the way that she is. I am not holding her to a pass or fail standard. Do I want her to show up in excellence and in greatness and and hit a home run with this keynote speech? Absolutely. But I don't want to put the full court pressure on her so much to where she feels like if she says an um or an uh during the keynote, she's failed. How? How do we as women hold space for other women to be their authentic selves, which is what we are shouting for the rooftops that we want to be as women of color in these organizations? I have to hold space for her to show up in her whole identity as well. And I can still hold in the same hand. I can still want it for black and brown women. I can still support my sisters. I can still support the younger generation, but I can't. I can't force them on the touchstone. I also have to let them evolve in their identity and hold space for all of their wholeness. It's, it's the good intention that we have that sometimes the unintended consequences are I'm creating an unnecessary level of anxiety for, this, for my peer in the room who is a woman of color. How do I check that? You know, I'm going to have to say that um, I presumed this episode would go a different way than it's going. And I'm so grateful for you for really hitting us with some big thoughts because I'm I'm literally standing in my closet. I podcast I, I record these podcast episodes in my closet. And I am I'm actually in some deep thought right now of how am I even showing up in ways where I'm continuing to propagate those narratives that I'm trying to break down for myself and for others. So this is, I thought we were going to talk about cisgender white men and down with them and you know, let's break down the patriarchy. And here we mm-hmm. are. And I'm thinking to myself, damn, can we do better? Mm. You know, can we do better? And I, I think the way to that is really recognizing, continuing to recognize those narratives, that baggage, that stuff that we have the privilege to let go of because we do get to live life differently. And, you know, I try to say a lot that the hardest thing that I've ever had to really face is the fact that my parents did damage. Mm -hmm. 
and that that damage was not intentional, but that I now have the capacity to let it go and to think differently and to hold space for new beliefs and to not continue to propagate some of the old beliefs around work and success and hustle and grind. And so it's really bringing me back to the healing journey that I'm still on. And I really just appreciate, I so appreciate this conversation and this topic because I think it's giving us a different way to look at imposter syndrome and potentially how we ourselves could be feeding into the system. Yeah. um, I work with many a DEI practitioner. My I mean, my social network of fellow coaches is really strong, uh, and I can think of a, a few of them. Some of the kind of daily questions that they ask, you know, have I have I moved my body today? Have I taken care of myself? Have I treated others well? They include, have I, what have I done to promote white supremacy? Tended or unintended? I don't even know if tended is a thing. Tended or unintended, right? So where I hear us talking about the, hey, we got to check ourselves. How are we in this lens of imposter syndrome? I think if we zoom out again, and if we if if we zoom out and zoom out of our kind of core community of women of color, and we hold space for the identity of a larger group, yeah, we'll we'll ask, what have I done to contribute to the patriarchy? What have I done to contribute to white supremacist behavior? What have I done to contribute to dominant culture behavior in my day, in my work day? What are the words I've used? What are the, what are the, what's the language verbally and non-verbally that have contributed to these systemic issues? And when we ask those questions, that's deep, that's hard because we may get the, we may get responses that we're not ready for. Again, self-serving and solving starts with dealing with oneself in a space of no shame, no blame, no judgment. When we can do that, then we can talk about things in depth like imposter syndrome and not blatantly slap a label on women and say, you got it. So here's five tips on how to fix it. Let's unpack to the tap root and let's hold space for the idea that the answers that we might get may not be the ones that we thought we were going to get. They may not be the ones that are aligned with our values or our heart. And we can change them just like where I hear you lifting up. Ooh, there's some things generationally that come from my parents that have been learning and unlearning journeys for me, for a lot of us. And where do we grieve that? Where do we grieve that in our, in our career pathing as we're getting the bag, as we're working on the promotion? Where do we grieve the idea that I have a work culture that came from my mom and my daddy that is not serving me? And it might cause some, might cause some contention at the dinner table or when I come to visit you know, with my time off and grieve that and forgive them for that. Forgive them for They did what they could with what they had and our lexicon, our language, our times, our technology, they are changing and and ever evolving. And so are we as humans. And it is okay to look back and say what my great grandma mama did raising eight children that were not her own. I don't have to take on what is now a struggle, which was just back then a noble sacrifice. I do not have to take that on and I can choose my path. And I think that's what we do well, you and I, Jasmine. We help our clients develop what their path to success is on their terms, taking into consideration how they identify, where they came from, their lived experience, how difficult it was, how glorious the future journey will be. We, we hold space for all of that. And we've got to consistently come back and do that with ourselves as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I think the hardest part is when it comes to that generational work, because we are holding such an immense amount of trauma and how you release that. It's not easy, but it's so necessary, not just for you in your lifetime, but for the generations to come. And that's just, that's the work that I think has been the hardest for me It's the work that I see is the hardest for my clients. I even have clients that say, you know, I want my parents and the relationship with my parents or my family or my community to be different. But because I want a different life, I know it can't be. And that's a hard thing to recognize that as you start to change some of these beliefs, as you start to release some of these mindsets, that you may end up walking a path where there might be some people on it that are new, which is great, 
and some of the other people might just go away. And it's it's a really challenging thing when you start really going so deep into this and you start to realize that you you not you not only have to release beliefs, but there might even be people you have to release along the journey. That's been the my hardest part. This is such a great conversation, and we may need to do another podcast just on this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But I want to take us back to the imposter syndrome question because we've gone into so many different directions. And the core question we were asking at the top of the hour, at the top of this episode was, so do we even use this term anymore? And so with all of this information that you've provided, with all of these gems that you've dropped, what do you think? Do you think imposter syndrome is something we should be utilizing, labeling ourselves with? Do you think there's benefit or disservice? I think that what we can't do anymore is continue to make this a binary subject. You have it or you don't. You use the term or you don't. You can get over it or you can't. I would submit for anyone who is asking those questions to consider, what does it mean to you when you hear the term imposter syndrome? And do yourself a favor, right? Get on the internet, Google, do your research, look at the the studies that were done 25 and 30 years ago, look at how we're talking about it today and ask yourself, is this me? Does this align with what I'm feeling, how I'm thinking? And if it doesn't, great, discard it and get to the taproot of of what you're already on. If imposter syndrome as a term doesn't serve you, awesome. Maybe it's just negative self-talk and then ask yourself how you're going to approach that. How are you going to dial back the negative self-talk? If imposter syndrome doesn't serve you and it's just perfectionism, which can be a standard archetype of imposter syndrome, great, throw imposter syndrome out the window. But how are you going to work on that perfectionism? How are you going to reduce the barriers that perfectionism places in your greatness, in your path to excellence, in your path to success? However it serves you, determine if it does or not. Take what serves you, leave what doesn't, but don't miss the opportunity for lesson learned. I think that would be my biggest, in air quotes, advice, because you know I'm not an advice person. And my biggest piece of advice would be (laughs) figure out if this is you. If it's not, great. But don't lose the pulse on what you need to be unpacking, what you need to be exploring. Yes, want to go get that bag? Girl, go and get it. And know that when you're working with Jasmine on negotiation, if you're sidestepping your fear of stepping into that power of yours because you don't feel like you deserve it, because you feel like you're going to be, quote, found out, You're on to something. Don't lose a pulse on that. I don't care what the rest of the world is telling you you have. You know yourself. Our clients are their best. They're they're the subject matter experts because it's their life. They are the product. You as a client, you are the subject matter expert. You know, you know, even when you don't think you know, you know what serves you and what doesn't. You might need to get some guidance on unpacking what that means. But don't lose a pulse on that and be less tied to what the world is telling you you have. You get to know you real well. And then you can make leaps and bounds. And then you can develop a career path to success that serves you. That might have to look at some of those generational norms that you have to separate yourself from, the cultural norms that you might have to separate yourself from. But you get to design that. Don't don't get so fixated on what the world is telling you you have. I love that because it it aligns so well with what I'm thinking back towards when I found out about imposter syndrome. I remember saying to myself, wow, I wish I knew this existed because it would have helped me identify the strategies to deal with a lot of the things that I was dealing with. So it wasn't that I wanted to label myself with it. It was that I felt like it gave me a prescription. I felt like it taught me a little bit more about myself and gave me tools and resources to really dig in, including getting my first career coach who helped me not just identify the strategic ways to move forward in my career, but really started to ask me some challenging questions about how I was showing up and why. So I love this concept of 
take it if it helps you and supports you, but also look at the core things that are showing up within you and address those as well. So it's almost kind of like, yes, we should still be using it, but if it's in service of us and if we can make it in service of us. So I love that. I love that. Well, Latoya, this has been such an amazing conversation. And I know we even had so much more we wanted to talk about. So you're going to have to come back. Oh, I'm welcome <laughs> back. I love that. I love I love how you are fostering this space of belonging where my voice matters to you, where my identity matters to you, and so much so that you'd want to have that voice and that identity back. See? See how that works? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because and we can just drop it with with the uh with the listeners now. We were gonna talk about a fake it till you make it mentality and We're going to have to really dig into that one because now that we've had this conversation, I'm thinking that's a whole nother podcast episode where we really dig into, are we the ones that are trying to propagate this whole conversation around fake it till you make it? Because most of the people who told me fake it till you make it looked like me. Mm. So (laughs) I want to talk about that in the next podcast episode. So listeners... We'll let you know when that's coming up because that's going to be a good one because now you've got me thinking a lot about how are we propagating these mindsets and not letting them go. So thank you so much, LaToya, for coming on. This has been such an amazing discussion. I have a lot of journaling I need to do. Like my soul feels like it needs a journal right now. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So I appreciate you for everything that you've done. Thank you so much for coming back and for dropping your gems. You always do. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. And Jasmine, same, same Z's. I love when we come together, we can have this open and robust dialogue. Thank you for your platform. Thank you for what you do with your listeners, with your clients. And yeah. I I can't wait. Can't wait for the next time. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, listeners. This was a good one. If you feel like your soul is telling you you need to journal too, then I suggest that you do listen to the episode again because there's so many things that were hit there. And also, if you haven't listened to the past episode with Latoya on burnout, please do. It was just as amazing as this one. And be on the lookout because Latoya and I are going to have a lot of collaborations coming up here on the podcast and also on LinkedIn. Check out the show notes for all the details and also the information to get in contact with Latoya and see her new brand. And until next time, y'all, see ya. That's all for today's show. Now that you know what you know, it's your mood. So girl, get out there and make it. And if you have suggestions for topics you'd like me to talk about in the next episode, perhaps something that might help you get unstuck, then let me know by sending a DM on our Instagram page, at Her Next Career Move. Don't forget to leave us a rating and subscribe to the show to support our movement to flood the work world with dope women of color ready to take it over. Mm